When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hello and welcome to episode 132 of Parami. And on this episode I'll be talking to Charlotte Matabaro. Well, it's quite a relief now. Uh, I feel that... Uh, Joe Biden is in power in America. It just feels like a weight has been lifted. And, uh, yeah, I won't go on about this again. But I think one of the worst things about uh, what's been happening over the last four years was, like, the growth of conspiracy theorists online. There were so many that uh, they were coming up on my feed on Facebook and Twitter and stuff. And people that I knew... We're believing in all sorts of mad stuff about uh, oh crazy stuff, you know, about 5G and about wearing masks and not taking a vaccine and all that. And there's still loads of people believing in all that stuff, and that doesn't go away. But uh, the thing about it is, I guess, when the president of America is kind of encouraging that kind of belief, that's what's really weird. That just makes you feel like you're in an insane world. So... It's glad, I'm glad that's all over. It must be incredibly awful living in a country, though, where there's, like, uh, an insane leader, like in the Philippines or in Ru- Russia. It must feel awful when there's just no kind of logical reaction to anything. It's horrible. It's really weird when science has been uh, overturned and, and stuff like that. I saw Fauci looked so relieved because he could just speak freely. He could just speak about the facts without fear of being fired. I mean, there's always been conspiracy theories. I used to go down to Grogan's Pub uh, all the time in Dublin uh, when I was in my early 20s. And you'd always hear people talking about mad shit about Jimi Hendrix and he's not dead or what all this kind of stuff and um, mad theories. But you, you'd go along with it because it was a bit of crack to talk shite over a few points and even like the guy with the horns and the fur uh, who was uh, in Capitol Hill when he was interviewed I thought he was quite funny I mean just insane but uh, he's still the type of guy I would have hung I would have if I'd met him and he started talking that crap I would have uh, thought it was very entertaining to listen to that mad shit 
or he was talking about, oh yeah, there's loads of caves in the Alps. It's like a Swiss cheese. He was saying because the all the rich, the people who are controlling the world have their bunkers in there and all this mad crack. I mean, that's kind of funny if you're talking to someone in the pub. It's just that so many people started believing in this stuff. It got a bit annoying on. It wasn't, it's not fun going online. Do you remember when you used to go online and watch silly videos and have the crack? Instead of people shouting and giving out about stuff. Giving out about having to wear a mask because it's their human right not to wear one and... Oh, Janie, and say, no, no, there's no COVID. It's a hoax, I'm telling you. Oh, God. I've blocked loads of people from my Facebook. I mean, there are terrible things in the world. Like, you know, there are like the 20, apparently the 26 richest billionaires own more than the poorest 50% of people in the world. And that's terrible. But I'm sure those billionaires aren't uh, actually lizards or, you know, they don't have underground bunkers. Well, maybe they do have a bunker in case there's a nuclear war, but I'm sure they're not all communicating through tunnels in the Alps. But I can understand, too, also why you'd want to get... Everyone's a conspiracy theorist, you know, in a way. You know, you can be your own detective online, finding out stuff and going, oh, this is mad. I'm finding out what's really happening behind all the... Uh, fake stuff on the media and you're kind of like a, a you know, heroic detective like there's loads of films like that where somebody is really knows what's going on oh, I can just imagine all that fervour and staying up to 4am just finding out loads of mad brilliant information about how the world really is yeah and this must be great crack doing that it's just when it got a bit mm, quite right wing and fascisty so the people for some reason who are anti-mask and believed in QAnon and all that is all very fascist so that's not good and when the president of America agrees with all this mad shit that's nuts I know that I kind of do have that little voice as well sometimes if you're angry about stuff you always think that everyone's against you or there's somebody people plotting against you my weakness would be you know if i haven't i've done loads of auditions and i didn't get any i go there must be someone spreading a rumor about me there must be somebody there must be some you know ridiculous reason why i'm not getting auditions you know, like as if all of the TV stations are plotting against me. Um, it's a little voice in my head. Everybody's got that. I just think it's people who are angry, yeah, and they want some reason to blame that their lives aren't going that well. Um, and that's fine, except when the president of America is uh, also kind of encouraging that kind of stuff as i said already yeah but so yeah we're gonna have uh, uh charlotte coming on in a second uh, before that i just want to say that you can uh, go on to head stuff and uh pay um through patreon and you'll get extra extra stuff that all the podcasts on head stuff have put up on the website that you can only uh, get to by paying the uh, five euro is all it is uh, a month. Uh, I have a video, a video 
of a live gig I did in the Helix last year, exactly one year ago. Five camera, professional shoot, looks great. And uh, it's there if you uh, pay through Patreon, you can watch that for free. And also be, I'll be putting up sketches and stuff like that. I've actually, uh, I'm on at the moment editing a second episode of a s- online sketch audio show called DICTV. You can get that on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's DICTV. If you try to remember it by saying Dick TV, yeah. Um, I'll be putting up a few of them, but I'll put one or two of the sketches up here on my podcast here just to give you a teaser of what's going on there. Okay, here's Charlotte Matabaro. So I was born in Tower Hamlets. I don't know if you know where that is. Tower Hamlet? Yeah, Tower Hamlet. It's in East London, so it would be very close to the Darklands and Canary Wharf area. Oh, right. Okay. So how did you end up in Ireland? I mean, let's get to it. You went to school in London, did you then? And all, all that, uh, I was in the UK until I was about 15, 16. And oh. then um, I moved over here. Um, believe it or not, my family are half Irish, even though we don't look it. My granddad was from Galbally. Yeah. Right. So um, we had relations here. Um, so we moved over. Uh, my brother, he moved over here. He didn't like it. He lasted about a year. He went back to London, but I loved it instantly and decided I was never going to leave. Oh, right. That's cool. Uh, what, what part of Ireland did you move to? And we moved to County Waterford. Oh, so right. we, had, we had relatives nearby. So um, that's what I really learned the true meaning of the word culture shock. Oh, <laughs> must have been unbelievable from London it's- to... What, the countryside in Waterford, yeah? I think it's easier to go from the countryside to London than it is the other way around. Yeah, like, so you were going to school. Did you get, you started going to school in Waterford and, and uh, what, what was that like? It, it wasn't the school really that was the culture shock. It was everything else. Because I think teens are teens worldwide, aren't they? They talk about the same things. They kind of do the same things. That was almost nearly consistent, but it was absolutely everything else. Basic things like houses. You know, if you spent time in London, you know that nobody has a back door in London. You never see the back of a house unless you're on a train. I just couldn't believe that you could kind of walk in somebody's front door here and out the back door and all around a bungalow. I'd never seen a house all by itself like that. <laughs> I was just oh. shocked. <laughs> just a house standing on its own with nothing. It was so there. shocking. Like nothing was attached to these houses. They were just on their own. I had just, I remember going to my uncle's house. Um, he lives in Tipperary and just kind of walking around the perimeter of his bungalow kind of surveying the site, kind of thinking, Jesus, you can actually walk out the back here. It was mental. All right, yeah, that's interesting now, because I, I grew up on a farm in uh, Meath, and we had cousins that would come over from Southampton or Birmingham, and uh, they would go insane on the farm. They'd, ne- they'd be running around chasing cows and everything. You probably thought they were crazy. Yeah, I, well, I thought... I would much prefer to live in England, you know, because it, it, as far as I was concerned, you know, England was, everything was happening there, the music scene and fashion and all that. Um, but uh, probably not in Birmingham at the time. <laughs> I think it depends on your personality, doesn't it? You know, whether you take to a new place or not. The little things here really kind of caught me off guard, like the transport. I remember asking my uncle, what time did the bus go to town? Um, and he said Thursday. 
but like it was only Monday. <laughs> and he's a champion piss taker. So I was kind of like, oh, look, he's having a laugh. Mm. So I said, fine, where's the bus stop? I figured I'd read the timetable. And he said, oh, no, there's no stop. You just put your hand out on the road. And I was like, oh, come on, pull the other one. He said, I'm telling you, you go out and you put your hand out. I don't know why I believed him, but I did. I went out, out I go, six foot black chick, four foot of Afro, standing on a rural road in County Tipperary with my hand out. And lo and behold, the bus stopped. I couldn't believe it. It wasn't even a bus. It was a coach. So the way in the country, they have like these coaches from the 70s. They don't have seatbelts or anything. They don't, it doesn't even say that it's a bus for town. It's just this mad old brown coach. I got on and I said, um, so what time do you leave town? And he said, um, when everybody's back on board. <laughs> <laughs> what time is that like? Is that four o'clock? Is it seven? I mean, how does he know who get on? He didn't even give us a ticket. So you just memorize your face, is it? It's like a photographic memory. Little oh. things like that just amuse me, you know? So you loved all that. And, and I guess some people, perhaps your brother just couldn't, didn't, didn't go with that at all. He you? absolutely hated it. But we're very different, my brother and I. You know, he's a very private person. Um, you know, the way Irish people are just like cripplingly nosy. They will stop you on the street and ask for your PPS number, your inside leg measurement, the name of your firstborn child. He just <laughs> couldn't understand the interest that people took. I did because we were an oddity. If you go back to kind of 95, there really weren't mixed race or black people here. You might encounter maybe some Indians or something in a local hospital. Yeah. Or you might see some maybe Asian people. But that was kind of it. Like this was before we had kind of large communities of mixed race, black people, you know, Eastern European people here. So you're going right the way back to the 90s. So we were oddities. And yeah. I mean, we were both designed to stick out. We're just so tall, both of us. Like we're the most conspicuous people. So people took an interest, but it, it wasn't in um it wasn't in a negative way. People just wanted to find out, you know, the way Irish people do, yeah. who you are and what you're about. And I don't mind. I give anyone five minutes. I've no problem talking to people, but he's not like that. And he just found it too invasive. And yeah. I think he just felt crushed by the lack of privacy. So he moved back after about a year and he hasn't been back since. Really? Wow. Yeah, he just hated it so much. And you know, it's funny because I hate London. I hate going there. I feel dirty. I feel tired. Yeah. I feel like I need to come home to get a break and get the grime off of me. So it's look courses for courses, isn't it? It's interesting. Yeah, like my best friend, uh, I would say, uh, and I met him during the 90s, a guy called Paul Tarlick, and he, he's half uh, Sri Lankan. And when, he, when we hung out in Dublin, yeah, there weren't many uh, mixed race people. So he, he loved that. <laughs> he loved that people, you know, he got attention all the time. And he, he just... He, that just uh, suited his personality, I suppose. Yeah, people are different, aren't they? Like, it depends what you're into. But I, I love the way Irish people are really friendly. Mm. I think it's wonderful. I think it's really great that you're walking down the road in the countryside, you think that you're on your own, but mm. you're not. A head appears from behind a ditch and shouts, I'd say we'll get that bit of rain. <laughs> and you're kind of going, who the hell is that? Like, you think you're on your own in the country, but you never are. You're actually more on your own in central London than you are in rural Ireland. You're oh. never on your own in the countryside, not ever. Right, that's interesting that you should say that. Uh, uh, um, do you not feel that some of that invasiveness can be, uh, let's say, not for the right reason? You know what I mean? It's just like, um, I mean, I just, don't, I don't know. I mean, I mean, what you're talking about in the 90s, I suppose, things were getting, would have been becoming a bit more uh, open uh, I think there was something about Ireland before that you, um, 
you know, you couldn't, uh, if you weren't married, you couldn't live with someone. And if, if a girl got pregnant, unmarried, there was a lot of... When did, when did divorce come in? What year was that? I don't know. Uh, I think, I know the referendum was, I'd say the referendum was in the 80s, was it? Or maybe the 90s. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I know it was quite late because at that time when I moved here, there really weren't many separated couples or divorces. When you live in London or any big city, um, friends of yours, they're mixed race, people are on their second husbands, they've got stepchildren, stepbrothers, stepsisters, you're all different colours. Yeah. You know, you might have a half-sister who's Asian and a brother who's black. You know, it's really normal when you live in a big city. But when you come to Ireland, it's like every family looked the same. And I just found it really fascinating. As in, I suppose if you're Irish and you go to London, everyone looks different. You might find that really fascinating. But I came here and everyone was like white with children that looked like both of their parents. Like I wasn't used to that. There was only one white girl in my class and she was actually American. <laughs> there was no Caucasian people in my class. So I think I found it an oddity that everybody looked the same. Yeah, yeah, and I would be like, uh, when I was growing up, if I went to London, I just found it amazing that people, all these different races and stuff. Uh, I, and and uh, because you only saw black people on TV. So you always yeah. thought, you always thought black people would just be cool, kind of. <laughs> yeah, because they're portrayed in the 70s with afros and flares and leather jackets. That's yeah. kind of what you would have seen, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then probably the first black person you'd see would be an African student or something, and they weren't, they were very studious looking and uh, serious and not, and not at all like, like the type of, of black person you saw on TV. That's, yeah, that and I think like the interest that you get is... It doesn't come from a bad place, but I think it depends on your view of yourself. Like I know my brother, I feel he's not 100% comfortable in his own skin and that's why he doesn't like the questions. Whereas I don't mind. I think if you meet someone on the street and they ask you, can I touch your hair, which they do frequently, mm. I just say, yeah, you know, knock yourself out. And then the two of you can walk away having had a positive interaction instead of turning it into some negative experience. It doesn't need to be. Okay. You know, people are just curious and that's okay. That's interesting because that is that is a, a point that a lot of uh, I think uh, black people find annoying. Can this kind of I never I never uh, I I've never thought that was a thing. I didn't I've never asked someone, "Can I touch your hair?" But <laughs> I find that is is a bit strange. Anyway, it happens but, all the time. It happens in supermarkets. You're in a queue in the post office. I genuinely don't mind. Like people aren't asking because they want to other me or because they want to make me feel uncomfortable. They just generally want to touch big, mad, fluffy, bouncy sheep hair. And I'm okay with that. Like, I really don't mind. If you want to touch my hair, touch my hair. You know, I really don't mind. Don't touch my ass, but you can touch my hair. <laughs> All right. Uh, and so, uh, sorry, so you're, um, uh, is one of your parents white? And one, um... So, yeah, so my dad was Tanzanian. So he he came from Tanzania. So he was like, what you what you're talking about on the television, like proper, really, really tall, really, really black guy. And then the white side of our family are Irish, so like super pale. They're basically like fluorescent white. You can kind of see their veins through their skin. Yeah. They're that kind of white. So we're we're a mixed race for that reason. That so so did your mother uh, find a um how did she deal with you, you kind of, uh, your hair and stuff like that? And, you, and you know, sometimes I've read anyway that, uh, say, sometimes black kids are adopted by white parents and they don't know what, how to deal with things like that. They don't, I suppose, no. Like, you, you always know, like, when you go to school, you always know the, the mixed-race kids that have a white mum because they've got really shitty hair. 
Right. And I, I was just in that category. You just know, you know, the ones, you know, the mixed race ones that have the black mum and the white dad because they've got really good hair. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. <laughs> just know, you can pick them out of a crowd. Like, you know, they always yeah. had the really nice braids and like really nice hair. But the ones with the white mum never did. <laughs> it just look hard luck for you, isn't it? It's on the wrong right. side. And so that was your situation as well. So I don't remember being overly concerned with hair when, when I was younger. You know, I know it's a big thing for a lot of kind of black girls, but I just, I'm the same now. I don't do anything with my hair. So it didn't really bother me, to be honest. Really? You don't actually do that? And it looks amazing. No, I wash it once a week. And whatever way I wake up, that's what the world is getting that day. I just can't be bothered. You know, there's more important things going on, isn't there, than trying to comb this. It's just not worth the aggro. I tried really? for years. But it always looks amazing. Well, you know, I'm, I'm only, I only know from Instagram. I don't, I don't know you, but anyway. Well, you, yeah, you don't see the, the days when it's the size of a sheep. <laughs> I don't put those pictures <laughs> up. I only put up the nice ones where it's looking half decent. All right, okay. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so did you go to, uh, you, you grew up in Waterford all the time, did you? And then did you go to, to college then? And stuff like yeah, I went to college and I studied horticultural science. Um, I actually wanted to study entomology, um, which is the study of insects but you couldn't do it here at the time mm-hmm. you had to go to London and I didn't want to move so yeah. I decided to study horticultural science I never actually wanted to work in it though I, I wanted to kind of study something that I was interested in and see where it took me if you know what I mean so yeah. I did that I studied horticulture and then I started working um, I worked for Glanbia for a long time um, and I liked it and all the rest of it but it's not what I wanted to do for a job it was more of an interest and I found working in it kind of ruined the hobby for me Right, right, right. You know, it's it's like if you do anything you love as a job, you don't really love it so much on the weekends, do you? Because it feels like work. You know, it can, it can, absolutely. I can even uh, say from when I started doing comedy, I was just doing it for a laugh with my friend, Paul, actually. And then when, and then when you start getting paid, you've got to be, yeah, it does take, sometimes takes a bit of the joy out of it, you know. Yeah, so I got out of that. I moved from retail sales into retail management, um, I don't know if you've ever worked in retail management, but you have these really like aggressive targets, but you don't get a bonus or anything for it. You just get a pat on the back and you can't put that in the bank. So I said, right, I'm out of here. So then I moved into business development, um, kind of consultancy recruitment, where yeah. it was kind of more incentivized, we'll say bonus kind of driven. Um, and I really liked that. I made a lot of money, but it was very micromanagey and it wasn't a great fit for me long term. Yes, yeah. the money was great because I wanted to buy a house. So once, once I did that, I didn't need to do that anymore. I was kind of free to kind of look for something that was a little bit more suitable. Right, yeah. So you've moved, uh, you, is that when you started your own? Yeah, started my own business then with a friend of mine. Um, I don't know what we were thinking. I think had I known what I know now back then, I don't know would I have done it. But yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs say the same thing. You know, uh, you, you, have, you have an idea and you just think, oh yeah, it was probably similar to yourself. You write something or you record something and you think this is going to be easy. It's going to be an easy sell and just isn't, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I suppose the thing about being self-employed is you, you, there is no security really. And sometimes you go, Oh, it'd be great if I just knew I was getting my wages every week. Yeah. But then, then you wouldn't but have, you can't have it all. Can you? I mean, you can't have your wages every week and then be free to be creative and make your own decisions. You've got to pick and it's, what is driving the need more you know your need for flexibility and freedom and to express yourself or your need to pay your ESB bill I think sometimes you come to that crossroads don't you where you've got to decide what's more important for you 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, you also, I mean, you obviously think it'd be great to have that security uh, when the money isn't coming in, but then when it is coming in, you go, oh, it's fantastic to be have your own freedom and control over your own thing. But, uh, I just remember sitting at my desk when I was working in recruitment all those years and spending much of my time kind of coasting really to my 10.30 break and then getting back and kind of counting down the hours to lunch break where you can be free for a bit, go outside, listen to the birds, feel the sun on your face. Then you go back in at two and it's, oh my God, I'm here until five. You're coasting, trying to pass the time and it just feels like your brain is melting and running out of your ears. And I just couldn't take it anymore. I just had to get out of it. Just kind of thought to myself, someone here has sold me a lie. You know, go to school, get your education, go to college, get more education. Go and work for, you know, a multinational company, get a job with a desk and a title. And then you get all those things and you're kind of sitting there at 11 a.m. going, this can't be all there is. Yeah. There's got to be more. Show me where it is. But there isn't. That's all there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, right. And then, uh, so what was your first business then? So do you mean what made me kind of do it, is it? Well, look, I mean, you, you're doing now. It's men's um, grooming or whatever. Yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's makeup for men. We make makeup for men, yeah. But is that the first uh, thing you did then? You, is that, that's what you wanted to do from the beginning. I actually never even thought about doing it. Um, my boyfriend has always said to me, you need to work for yourself because whenever I worked in kind of target driven roles, I always smashed my targets out of the park. I did consistently, like every quarter, I always met my KPIs. He said, you need to work for yourself, but I didn't have anything I was particularly passionate about. I didn't care enough about anything to go and start a business in it, you know? And then I met a friend of mine, Mark, um, when we worked in recruitment together. And he always looked really good, like suspiciously good. I remember chatting to him one day and he was telling me that he used to have really bad acne and rosacea. I don't know if you ever had acne as a teenager, but it can ruin your life. Yeah, I didn't have it that bad, no. But maybe you knew people that had it and you mm. might have seen, you know, their faces and what they went through. Like it, it can be like you can get cysts under the skin, like these really aggressive kind of really big red cysts. And it's just so embarrassing. And his sister said to him one day, put a bit of that concealer on it. And it kind of covered it instantly. And this was when he was about 16. And he told me that. He was gutted that there wasn't something like that for men in a chemist, even when we were talking back in 2017. And right. I don't know, it was like, you know, that light bulb moment that you often hear people describe that cliche. Mm. We were in a car coming back from a garden centre and he said it to me. And I was just kind of thinking, like, why isn't there this thing? Mm. And he said, if I could pick my dream job, that would be it. I'd have a range of cosmetics for men. And I don't know. I don't know why I said we could do it or why I thought we could do it. But in that car on the way home, we made a decision. We were starting a business and we were doing it. We knew nothing about cosmetics. We knew nothing about consumer product industry. We knew nothing about running a business. We literally came back to my house with an A4 pad and a pen and we sat down and we put together the foundations of a business plan. We've been doing that every day since. Right, okay. It's weird. It's weird, isn't it, how these things happen? I mean, we hadn't, neither one of us had planned this or even had a conversation. I didn't even really know him that well. I probably only knew him about five months before we went to that garden centre. Right. Yeah, we decided to start a business together, which is mental, really, because you wouldn't marry someone that you've only known for five months. But essentially, yeah. that's what I did with Mark. We essentially got married to that business after only five months of knowing each other, which was just nuts when you think about it. Right. Yeah. And 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 how, what's it like then? Um, what are Irish men like with regard to grooming? Are we uh, a bit wary of it? We're about fifteen years behind uh, mainland Europe. Um, in terms of routines like I don't know have you ever spent any time in Scandinavia only a few weeks yeah have you noticed how ridiculously well groomed the men are over there I suppose so yeah 
like particularly places like Norway, it's like they're like a nation of models. They're just so well put together. Even if you spend any time in London, even on the tube, and you look around at the clothes that the men are wearing, or Italy, or Slovenia, countries like that, men are just so well put together. We're we're quite behind that way. You see it more in Dublin. You see those Louis Copeland lads walking around and they're tailored within an inch of their life. But it yeah. hasn't really spread to the Limericks and the Waterfords and the Corks yet. It's on the way, it's coming, but we're not quite there yet. So yes, while we've had sales in Ireland, we never really decided to make Ireland our kind of central focal point for the business. Oh, really, is it not? No. We, well, I suppose we know that our, our key demographic isn't really here. You know, so we've teamed up with um, a company called Channel Retail Innovation. They're a travel retail company. So Joe has come on board with as a partner to Mohican. So he's helping us access um, travel retail, which is wonderful. So airports is where we always wanted to be. That's where you see those guys, isn't it? Those kind of international guys who are traveling, walking right. around, looking sharp. They've got huge disposable income. You right. see them in the, in the Tom Ford concession, spending 350 quid on a bottle of aftershave. Right. Okay. So that's how that's where you sell. So you sell in airports and online, I suppose. So we sell online, and we've just launched in retail in the UK with a retail chain called Fifteen Seventeen. Joe has been instrumental in actually getting that over the line for us. So they're selling our stuff in two stores at the moment, and they they're moving our stuff into another four stores from February. So we'll have six stores in bricks and mortar retail in the UK, which we couldn't have done without Shannon Retail Innovation. Joe's been great. Like he's held our hand the whole way through. We didn't know anything about travel retail or even really regular retail we only really knew about online sales so it's great to have them on board oh i see okay uh, and uh, where do you where do you get your product from then it's, so we're two manufacturers and one is in spain and one is in the states okay yeah so it's a, it's not an easy process manufacturing consumer products it will break your heart uh, do you have to be kind of hands-on with that do you have to go there and yep. Yeah, Mark did. It was just, and I actually remember we were still working in our full-time jobs in recruitment when we started the business. Right. And you have to fly over and back, over and back, over and back to the labs to assist with development every couple of weeks. So right. you go over, you tell them what you want. They develop a prototype. You go over, you test it. And Mark is notoriously, you know, perfectionist when it comes to products. Right. If it was too oily, he'd say, no, go back to the drawing board. We'd fly home again. Same thing, back in three, four weeks. That went on, that went on for about a year and a half. And we were actually in full-time employment at the time. So because we both worked for the same company, we both have to ring in sick on the same day because we're actually getting on a plane and <laughs> flying, flying to Spain to sample really? stuff in a lab. And they never copped on. Like, why are these two sort of simultaneously ill? They never even copped on. Like, we take turns ringing in sick, you know, sitting in, sitting in um, departures in Dublin Airport, you know, drinking a rum and coke, laughing our heads off. Jesus, it's a wonder they never copped on to us. Right, right, right. And so, like, so what do you, you, um, you come up with a product? How do you mean, like, uh, how are, are talking about um, something like concealer or whatever, or, or whatever, like, how, how in-depth do you know how, of the technical uh, ways, how, how to make a product? Like, how, how do you research? Mark does, Mark does, because Mark had been a product user since he was about 15. Mark right. has three bathrooms in his house, and each one of them is absolutely crammed, and I mean crammed, with every type of product known to man, he has spent, I would think, tens of thousands over the years on products. Right. So he was actually the best guy to tell them what he wanted. So he picked his favorite products and we brought them with us. So they're able to reverse engineer a product. So, right. you know, with EU regulations, you actually have to show your ingredients on the back of any pack. We do with the same with ours. So right. you bring your products over and you say, I want it to be like this, but I want it to feel like this and I want it to smell like this. 
and I want the packaging to be like this. And they slowly deconstruct your favorite products and they combine them all to make one product. So it, it takes, it took about a year to a year and a half. Um, the concealer was probably the hardest one because it was water-based. Mark was adamant that it couldn't be oil-based like a woman's. So yeah. I don't know if you notice, but when women wear makeup, it's quite obvious because we want people to know we're wearing makeup. When a guy is using makeup, he doesn't want people to know it's discreet because he's mm. using it for coverage. He doesn't want people to know it's that he's wearing a color product on his face. So it had to be water-based so that it was undetectable. And that was the hardest part, was actually getting a product to stay on and last that had no oil in it. And that lab had actually never done that before. So it was an uphill struggle for all of us involved. Wow, that's really interesting. So what kind of things are people, are men buying? What, what, when, you know, maybe you could even give me advice. You can see my face. <laughs> the most popular one is the concealer because, yeah. and someone said this to me a couple of years ago. They said, if I'm having a bad skin day, I have to sit at my desk. He said, you women disappear into the bathroom and you're able to cover it up. And you come out and you've got a brand new face. And yeah. now with Zoom, we're all looking at our faces 24-7 over Zoom. We're all looking at ourselves and it's horrible. And, you know, men, men don't like to admit it, but they're as vain as women are. They'll never tell you they are, but they are. And they're super secretive. So they'll say things like, oh, don't send it to my home. They'll email you and say, well, you send it to my work address. Does it come in plain packaging? They'll ask you all these questions, you know. What does it say on the outside of the package? Because they don't want people knowing what they've bought. What will show up on my credit card statement? They don't want people knowing they're buying it. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is really hard when you're trying to sell a product because you want people to talk about it. Like, so you're doing your podcast. You want people to know that you're doing a podcast. Yeah. You, you want other people to tell their friends, hey, listen to Joe. But when you're trying to sell a product and people won't tell their friends they're using it, it takes forever for word to spread. Wow. Yeah. Whereas women share tips. You know, I might say to my friend, oh, that's a great lipstick. Have you tried this? Yeah. Men are just not that open about things like that. Even tanning salons, 50% of all the customers using tanning salons are men. They request private appointments. They'll go in when there's no one else there. They'll go in early in the morning. They go in late in the evening. They don't want anyone seeing them going in. They don't want anyone seeing them coming out. So they're very secretive about their routines. There's actually a clinic in Dublin. I won't name it, but it has an in and an outdoor, right? So if you go in, the person leaving can't see you entering. Oh and they did that system purely for men because the men were so paranoid about going in, getting a bit of Botox. They didn't want anyone seeing them. So they actually had to work on a new layout <laughs> for the salon. Right. Okay. I, like, I think it, it, it was like that back in the 90s for women who were getting uh, surgery, uh, you know, Botox. and Yeah. When, when, it, when it was a kind of a seen as a bit of a dodgy thing, you know. Um, but uh, not now, I don't think. Dodgy and I think frivolous. I think there's so much judgment out there now that if a woman goes off and gets Botox or boobs or whatever she wants to spend her money on, there's so much judgment, you know, from people. Oh, look at this one. She's notions or who does she think she is? You know, this kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's kind of more for that. Like they don't want neighbours talking about them. You know, there's a lot of that in Ireland, isn't there? There's a lot of finger pointing. We've seen it, I think, with COVID actually more than ever. There's so much finger pointing. You go on Twitter every night and there's people going, oh, look at the queue in B&Q. You know, it's huge. These people will never learn. But they're in the queue taking the picture. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the COVID thing has is, is driven me insane. Well, I mean, like I've kind of tried to stay away from it on Facebook. Um, mm. People giving out about other people doing things. Just mind your own business. So what would you recommend for men then? Concealer is one thing. Uh, what about grooming, like eyebrows? Um, 
Yeah, we do. We sell an eyebrow gel and that's really popular with men kind of over 50 because as you age, the hairs tend to get thicker around the eyebrows and they get a bit bushy. Right. So if you go to a barber on a regular basis, quite often the barber will trim them for you with the trimmer. Yeah. Um, but the eyebrow gel actually holds them in place. So that's popular. Or the anti-shine. Um, men's skin tends to be oilier than women's, so they can get kind of a shine, particularly if they have acne. So oh. the anti-shine is like a clear powder that you blot on. And it, you probably used it when you're on stage or when you're have you ever used that kind of powder when you're on tv on tv yes uh, yeah we'd always be given that yeah and uh, how do you feel after it when they they put the powder on your face bright lights uh well i'm used to i'd be used to it now i mean so i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't i'd probably leave it on after the shoot <laughs> <laughs> head to the pub <laughs> see if you yeah. get any looks jesus yeah. joe looking well tonight yeah yeah, yeah, it's something I must think of. Yeah, and I'll have a look at some of your products then, and uh, we'll send I, you a few. You can test them. Oh yeah, I'd love to. I'd love. Yeah, to. we'll send you a few. I've I've gone to seed like uh, with lockdown now. So, um, do you think uh, attitudes then have changed with regard to? There's a lot of talk about racism, and uh, I know there was a guy on Tommy Tiernan's show. He changed his name to apply for jobs. I think he maybe has a Nigerian name. You see what's happening in America, obviously. Yeah. And uh, I think people are being radicalized online by watching rubbish on YouTube. And mm. uh, and then there were all these kind of the rise of kind of far right groups in Europe as well. So what would you be aware of it happening in in Ireland? This is really weird because people ask me this a lot, particularly with Black Lives Matter. And I, I always kind of say the same thing. And it's not to be diplomatic, right? If you walk into a room looking for a guy in a blue shirt, you're going to see a guy in a blue shirt. If you go out into the world and you look for racism, you're going to find racism. Mm -hmm. I can honestly say that I've been here since 1995, and I genuinely mean this. I have never experienced racism. I'm not trying to take away from people that have. I'm yeah. not saying it doesn't exist. But I think a lot of it has to do with how you see yourself and how you react to certain things. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm not a denier at all. I'm simply saying I've been here since 1995 and I have an African surname and I have never experienced racism. Now right. saying that, I don't view myself as black. I'm mixed race. So in my family, half of them are black, black and the other half are white, white. And I actually look like neither of them. Mm -hmm. So myself, and my brother are out there on, on our own. We're not black or white. So we're kind of, you kind of, when you're a mixed race, you're in the middle, like white people see you as black and black people see you as white so you're kind of out there in a category of your own and I think it gives you a good view of both sides because I think maybe because I don't identify as either perhaps that's why I haven't haven't seen it if you know what I mean yeah I don't walk around and wake up and say I'm Charlotte and I'm black I'm just me I don't think of myself as black white English or Irish I get out of bed and I'm just me I think what you'd see online would be these people saying, oh, we're losing our culture. I Ireland, is li we're losing our culture. Well, you know, it's bullshit because, I mean, you just have to turn on the radio and there's Gaelic football and people playing fiddles and stuff. But, but uh, you know, if you, if you ask those people, Joe, can you speak Irish? I'd tell you no. I'd say so. I would They'd imagine. No. Yeah. And that's, you know, that always makes me laugh. It's like, well, what have you done to ensure that your culture is handed down to future generations? Well, nothing. You've just been angry on Twitter about it. Like, it's absolute rubbish. Absolute rubbish. I, mean, I think if you go onto Twitter, you're going to see stuff like that. If, yeah. if, if you go onto Facebook, you're going to see stuff like that. It's not something that I engage in. You know, I just don't engage in that. I don't get involved in those conversations. I've had a couple of companies contact me on Instagram 
yeah. asking, do I want to have free merchandise like Black Lives Matter? Like, I'm not going to be a poster child for something, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't feel like because I'm 50% black, I need to have a voice on this topic. Yeah. Because it hasn't been an issue for me in my life. And I'm not denying that it's been an issue for other people. I'm yeah. simply saying it has not been an issue for me. I don't feel the need to kind of champion any cause, not specifically Black Lives Matter, but any cause. I just feel that I live here in the country. Once my gate is closed, I, I selfishly don't care what goes on outside that gate. And I know it's selfish, but I just don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, you're right. I mean, I, I, a lot of what happens on Twitter is absolutely ridiculous. It is. It's people just looking for a row. Like, I mean, if you engage with a troll, if you try and change a person's view, you're not going to win. If a person's up there putting out racial slurs and just stupidity, yeah. there is no point engaging with that person. Like, you're not going to change their view. All you're going to do is upset yourself. You're just better off ignoring them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, I mean, I think, uh, I think so, the companies who, uh, like Twitter and Facebook and, and YouTube and Google, they have found that uh, uh, people are more attracted to things that annoy them. And so they keep sending them they keep yeah. sending people towards subject matters that will get them annoyed because that's what people are i don't know they're addict people get addicted to being annoyed they do and i think all they're doing is they're stressing themselves out like there's a lot of hatred in the world and you don't have to look too far to find it but why would you look for that and why would you invite it into your life i would much rather look at cat videos on youtube Absolutely, copy with the days when that's what YouTube was. We'd look that's at that's what I use it for. I, I I spend all all my evenings looking at funny kitten videos. Like I know there's a lot of hatred in the world. I don't need to be bombarded by it or constantly remind myself. I just I think that would make you very paranoid and neurotic. Well, it it's definitely been. not something I'd engage in at all. But listen, uh, so w w what's the name of your? Uh, just completely changed subject now. <laughs> what's the uh, the name of your uh, company and and its website? So our company is called Mohican, M-O-H-E-C-A-N, and it's mohican.ie. Right, and you can order products from there. Uh, you can order products online. Thanks for the plug. All right, Charlotte, thanks a lot. Uh, okay, um, talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Was Charlotte Matabaro there and so you can go on a website it's Mohican M-O-H-E-C-A-N and uh, get some um, products and I am definitely going to try some and I'll, I'll I'd need some the head on me and I'll uh, let you know how that look and put up a photograph on me Instagram or something like that you know what I mean yeah so are we I'll talk to you soon Ari. good luck now If you've had a bladder leak today, listen up. I get it. I tried pills and pads for years but couldn't find relief until I found Axonics Therapy. It's a tiny device that put me back in control of my bladder. Why not see if it could work for you? Visit findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonics is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.